Welcome to The Slow Crafted Life, a podcast that explores how to craft an intentional, thriving life while still living your environmental and social values. Listen to inspiring stories of people living their values, succeeding at life, doing good in the world, and inspiring real change. This is The Slow Crafted Life. Hello, welcome to The Slow Crafted Life. I'm your host, Sundown Hazen, and today, Nicole Flood of Flood Clothing joins us to talk about creating works of wearable art with sustainable practices. Flood Clothing comprises a team of four women who work together to create clothing and hats from 100% recycled materials. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Hi. Awesome. Are you ready to Thanks jump for in? having me. Sure thing. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Well, <laughs> let's... <laughs> gonna be a fun one I can already tell this is uh let's start with your business so I understand you started 15 years ago and so what did that look like starting up and how did the idea form well honestly I actually started my whole business uh hand crocheting hats and um it just kind of exploded I had a woman stop me on the bus and ask me um for three of them in a variety of colors and the entrepreneur in me was like yes that's gonna happen and i was uh going to apparel design school at the time and my classmates so i formed uh a look i would build them custom hats and i would take pictures of them wearing them creating the lookbook, which then um basically put me into the praxis of developing my own business which i started on my classmates actually um but i was not wanting to be a hat maker per se the Crocheted hats I knew were going to be very limited, um, and I decided um, I, I've always had a love of t-shirt. It's a very forgiving, natural, and abundant fabric in the secondhand world, um, and I've always had a love of secondhand clothing as well. Like I grew up secondhanding um, all the way, so it kind of combined those elements together, and I made my very first upcycled t-shirt hat, and um got major success with that and was able to build up enough clientele that I could then kind of slowly progressing and get stronger with my skill set as far as fitting people and taking designs from my mind into um, patterns and then do, do product development, fit development. And I found a lot more peace in working with recycled clothing because whenever I'd go to a fabric store and look at those bolts of fabric infinite possibility. Oh my God, I could do anything. How do you even use your creativity when you can do anything? And oh my God. So the t-shirts and clothing allowed, uh, they were as a constriction, right? There was, there's only so much fabric in a t-shirt. So it's like, oh, okay, now I've got a problem to solve and I can focus my creativity on, um, solving the problem of how to cut up a piece of clothing and turn it into another garment. And I say this not from the sustainable standpoint, because when I started it 15 years ago, it wasn't even in my mind that I was actively helping keep clothing out of the landfill. It was just like, oh, abundance the fiber and love secondhand clothing and let's solve this Tetris problem of building stuff out of recycled clothes. Awesome. And <laughs> and then all and you know, and the focus being on um, making things that made me feel like I was my authentic self, made me feel like I was shiny and powerful. And and for me that's always been being out of mainstream consciousness and expression mm -hmm. and i imagine that there was a ton of people that had at least a small part of that within themselves and that my work would speak to and become a tool for them as well so those all elements combined and then all of a sudden it was very clear that the industry was a problem the apparel industry was a problem and um bonus i've been cutting up clothing for 15 years and now it's like you know everyone's like sustainability and i'm like well Oh yeah, <laughs> that's something that's been happening inadvertently this whole time. And I've just gotten so good at, you know, figuring out how to use these things. And I'm so comfortable, my brain works that way versus the traditional way of um, uh, apparel companies. So it was a super bonus, but it prime, um, loving secondhand clothing and wanting to create one of a kind things for people to feel awesome in. Um, and here we are today. Wow, how fun. <laughs> That, that's uh, quite the culmination of inspiration and creativity and out-of-the-box thinking and you know, witnessing a problem. And, uh, you know, like you're just so like so many of our guests, uh, all of our guests who are, are observing and witnessing and paying attention to what's happening around and has that inspirational moment of tying the pieces together and, 
as a person with your energy, that's one piece that makes that happen. The other thing as I'm listening to your story and thinking about this particular problem is that uh, when it comes to patterns, I imagine there's not a lot of patterns available for random pieces of fabric to turn into something beautiful. So what's that? How do you how did you solve that piece of the puzzle? Well, you know, as I went along and my skill set became more and more intensive, it's, it's all interwoven, right? So I would first do very simplistic designs that were kind of um, really kind of being trapped in what the original garment was. And one day I kind of had this aha moment of like, oh, wait, this is just fiber in 3D form that can be broken back down into 2D form and then put back together in 3D form again. So my brain kind of switched gears into, I know if I make this piece using this rest of the t-shirt, it's going to give me these other pieces. And I can utilize the whole t-shirt if I break it down in this particular way. And so my brain just kind of went boop, boop. <laughs> and switch to a place where the problem solving really actually just got incorporated into super stellar design work, um, design work that kind of honed in on um, the benefits of having these cast off scrap pieces. Incorporate that little tiny piece as a super sweet design element that people are like, oh, look at that little thing. And I'm like, haha, that was just a great way to use <laughs> this scrap material from that yeah. piece, wow. you know? Um, and how do you make how do you make patchwork stuff? look attractive and not necessarily patch working, you know? So it's creating um, wearable canvases out of fiber and utilizing those little pieces that get cast off very intentionally. And it, and honestly, uh, Sundown, I don't think it would have happened had I not been cutting up t-shirts and clothing for 15 years and realizing just through the practice of cutting and cutting and cutting where the, the holes could be filled and utilizing a whole garment when mm. I uh, cut it up. Hmm. What an experience. So, and you started with hats, you've done some crochet, you're cutting up all these fabrics, you're now creating a whole line of art. And we're going to have, of course, the website linked in, in the show notes. Uh, and it's it's fun to peruse uh, and very inspirational. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of shopping lists <laughs> created from from their trips, I hope. So you are you keep expanding. You're somebody who expands on what you do uh, and grow into more. Uh, and most recently, I believe you started a, a graphic shirt line. And tell us, tell us what led to that. Yeah. Okay. So that is um, a fun little project that actually takes three years to execute. Um, and the reason for that is uh, graphic t-shirts that are awesome and fun are fairly hard to come by in the secondhand world. And so we're kind of at the whim of what is organically happening, um, being cast off from people as they donate their clothing. And so for some, the team and I go out and we collect t-shirts, collect t-shirts. Oh, one in 20 has this awesome graphic. Um, so every three years, I release a graphic t-shirt line that's focusing on utilizing the super awesome graphics, uh, random and also well-known, uh, to create a little specialty line, um, you know, for, for fun, because having graphic t-shirts that, you know, art that other people really re recognize and connect with. Um, as an offering is really fun. And of course, you've got the three-year build-up cycle going too. So mm. <laughs> people wow. always get, get really excited when it's finally time, including me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. It, it takes three years to gather enough to get through. Basically, it's a whole season of production to have enough to get through the demand that people are going to naturally have. Well, naturally have. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, and, you know, just through experience, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Bringing it back to life. You know, everything comes back, especially in fashion, right? It comes back into fashion. Yes. <laughs> so, and what a fun way that you're doing it. So it's true as you're growing and expanding and you know, the, the layers keep unfolding in this conversation. So where do you see I, you, you're a visionary person. What's, what's in the future for, for you and flood clothing? What's next? Yeah, that is my favorite question. It's, um, there's a couple of different arenas. I've always, always, always imagined, um, you know, if I can get my company to any kind of scale where I'm air quoting mass producing upcycled garments, um, that means that there's that many more pounds of clothing kept out of a landfill ultimately. And that means um, employment for people that live in Portland where I'm from. And it means being able to teach classes to the community on how do you cut up your t-shirt and what do you do with your secondhand clothing and um, skill sets that are kind of falling to the wayside because we don't do a lot of this kind of work in our country anymore, but there's an interest in it. 
So revitalizing the art of craft and uh, working that into sustainability and upcycling. So the bigger vision, my ultimate goal would to be have a um, production house that is big enough for me to have uh, a team and we're keeping thousands of pounds out of the landfill every month. Um, and uh, being able to teach, having a healthy work environment where people are proud and excited about what they're doing, but then expanding that into um, hosting classes and events where, you know, people bring their stuff in that they need to figure out where it needs to go and what, you know, let's make a project with it. And um, just kind of keeping that knowledge um, going and expanding so that people um, get excited and feel empowered to be able to do it for themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned a number of times of keeping the these items out of the landfill. Um, what? Yeah. How do they end up there? What's that? I mean, I I so I keep my clothes until it like wears <laughs> on to nothing, you know, because that's just how I operate. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's a couple levels of that on on a personal level. Um, a lot of people. You know, just like you said, they wear their clothing until it's dead. They wear their clothing until they get a stain. And they think instead of the Goodwill, the Value Village, whatever secondhand store they're trying to donate it to isn't going to be able to resell it. Mm. So they throw it away. They don't feel like so a lot of people get trapped in the quality of the garment being not good enough for somebody to continue wearing. And a lot of people that's how a lot of people end up throwing their clothing away versus donating it in any condition to a secondhand store. Um, from a corporate level, uh, from a big business level, um, landfilling clothing is a practice of maintaining um, brand value. Um, so rather than, you know, a big corporation um, watering their product down by making it, you know, donating it or making it available to um, uh, lower economic situations, they just will throw it away instead rather than creating a disruption in the image they're trying to create for their brand. Um, so, you know, billions of pounds per day are ending up in landfill just to maintain the identity um, of their product. So, and their clothing lines. So that's, it's, it's from a, from a personal perspective, people just don't realize they can keep their clothing out of a landfill and donate it in any condition. And then from a corporate perspective, it's just a practice that's been going on for a really long time. Hmm. And so how do you, so you're not obviously going into landfills to gather all these clothes. Where, how do you, how do you source it? What are some alternatives or, uh, and other ways that other people, if they're inspired by your vision and have that same creative bug inside them, like where, where could they consider influencing that waste stream and, and turning it into something beautiful again? Yeah. So um, there's so many different ways. Anywhere from a, the closest thing to a landfill I'll get is a free box. In Portland, oh my gosh, we have so many, and I imagine where anybody is, there's free boxes where people are just putting their old stuff. Mm. Um, so it's not quite a landfill, but it's it's pretty rogue, it's renegade. Um, all the way to if you um, any secondhand store, whether it be Goodwill, whether it be Value Village, um, Salvation Army, all of those places, just look at it as your fabric store. Whether it be buying a brand new piece of clothing for you to wear as is, or buying something you want to cut up, um, it's a low investment, and you end up you know, again, keeping that piece in movement and still out of, again, uh, either recreating it or wearing it and, and giving it another life. Um, so I, that is a big secret people don't know about is something called the Goodwill bins. And they're not everywhere, but they're, they are spreading. And what it is, is the warehouse that everything that you donate to good, Goodwill goes to. So it's not for everybody because it's pretty raw and you're going through thousands of pounds of clothing by hand, but you can buy it by the pound. And mm. so it makes the investment a lot um, a lower and you uh, can just have access to an incredible wellspring of fabric and clothing for very, very little, um, you know, maybe a dollar per pound of clothing. So wow. that's a great and, resource. And like how many T-shirts are a pound of shirts approximately? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say anywhere from ten to fifteen. Hmm. You're working. You're looking at a pound. So t-shirts are actually really light. You can get a substantial amount of t-shirt for a very uh, little amount. You know. Um, so yeah, ten to fifteen shirts, pounds. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> if and you what... were working with sweaters, it's a totally different scenario. Okay, so sweaters. That, that's another fabric that you like to work with. Oh yeah. What... Oh yeah, sweaters, hoodies. <laughs> <laughs> sweatshirts jeans you use denim 
I, that is the one thing I just, I have not gotten myself into. That's a, that's a particular tribe right there. Mm. And I, I shy away from jeans and things that don't stretch because I'm real. I love stretchy fabrics. They're a lot more forgiving and a lot more universal when you get into denim. Um, it's, it's very sturdy and awesome and it lasts a long time, right? It's cotton as well, but it doesn't have the forgiveness from both a construction standpoint, as well as a, what ends up happening with it. So I leave that to the professionals. <laughs> okay. So you're, you don't just consider what the fabric looks like then as you're piecing these together. So how do you balance these different characteristics of look and feel and stretchiness and, and create a beautiful piece of work? What, what's that process? Uh, that's a great question. You know, I think it just comes from what I'm comfortable in creating, what I'm comfortable in my knowledge base, and then kind of squeezing out another little, oh, I can I can try to do this. Um, I've just, I've always loved t-shirt. It, there is such an abundance of cotton jersey t-shirts in the world. Um, and they, as you know, because you probably have a t-shirt you've had for 15 years, and every year you wear it, it gets better and better and better. Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's, an, that means that the garment that I make from it is going to last that long too. And it's going to be really easy to care for. It's going to breathe. It's going to have all those natural fiber um, benefits that we're seeing less and less of because everything that's being produced new right now is a cotton poly blend. Cause we got to mm. start doing something with all that plastic. Right. So um, the love of t-shirt, the abundance of it, and then um, just getting more brave with trying new things. So now there's um, sweaters, there's hoodies and sweatshirts and sweatpants. Um, leggings means cotton spandex, um, t-shirts and leggings, et cetera. There's a ton of that. They, that active lifestyle, that thing that we're going through right now is giving me great, great access to uh, those types of fabrics. And if you really think about it, it's a relationship to what is currently happening. That's what defines what I do in a way. You know, mm-hmm. so if all of a sudden leggings are awesome and that's what everyone's wearing and also subsequently getting rid of sweet day, I've got, a, a, you know, a steady flow of that fabric. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's how that's how it's always worked. You know, it's just a huh. I, I rely on what's happening and you have to be able to adapt to it um, quickly. Yeah. Uh, you're, I mean, you use the word flow. You're literally swimming in this flow of style and trends and pastes and fabrics and oh it's just so fun so uh let's talk about some of your specific features of your clothes you you talked about dresses you talked about shirts um i have four daughters and so i'm familiar Mm -hmm. with you know girl fashion and i mean we just got some new clothes this week and uh they had some dresses and one of them had pockets and so there was the discussion about you know, mm-hmm. how most girl clothes don't have pockets <laughs> <laughs> and like how cool it is to have a dress with yes. pockets. So how do you, how do you design, what are your thoughts when you're designing that, uh, this new, oh, man. new old clothes? <laughs> yeah. So the second that I, um, had my hands at the, at the realm of getting to create a brand new garment that no one else had seen, that was the first fear I conquered was putting some pockets on things. And I, I was doing that again, before it was even a real consideration that women's clothing didn't have pockets. I did it selfishly. I, I hate carrying a purse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have, I'm going to, if I'm wearing this, I know what I want in clothing and I want pockets. And so essentially every year, that's a part of the design process. How can I sneak a pocket into this garment in an attractive, but very functional way? We're, we're in a realm right now where any human being, whether they be male or female, is carrying the basic things, their wallet, their keys, and their cell phone. Even your your girls are probably carrying some, at least one of those things yeah. or <laughs> in a their pockets. Or a little toy or, um, you know, some so, candy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, you need pockets for rocks. Period. Yeah, that totally. you always need a pocket for a rock. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's my girl. Yep. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that, uh, what I'll do when I create a pocket now, those items, I, I paper draft my pattern still. I really feel it connects me to the process of creation in a way that a digital, it, you know, is way more efficient, but I feel like it kind of shaves off the connectedness to creating this new thing. Um, and so I actually trace 
uh, trace those items to create the depth and, and scope of the pocket so I know for sure that it's actually going to function in the way that I want. So we've got, I've gotten some pretty sizable pockets now, but it's, it's fun to find a way to make that pocket a design feature that is like, ooh, that's a really sweet style line and bonus it's a pocket, you know, mm -hmm, yeah. it, just, it, it came from kind of a, a selfish place that turned out to be something that everybody else wanted too. you know, it's one of those beautiful coincidences and synchronicities. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, well, it, there's a number of successful products, you know, that that are touted as being built as something that they the, the engineers or the people building it want to use, right, and having that desire or use it on a regular basis. And so I think there's a lot of value in operating out of that. And you've done that really gracefully uh, and you're building, you're creating, you're sewing these products together because you would use them. How do you make sure or what, what do you have to do to make them available to the most widest range of people so that more people can have access to your clothing line? Yeah. You know, that's a, it's a great um, question, right? Because the more in depth the designs get, the more labor, it's the labor intensive process, no matter what way, you cut it. And as an artist, I, I always want to push the edge to the intensity of my garments from an artistic standpoint. But you kind of get to a place where it becomes so expensive that not everybody has access to it. So part of the design process is kind of figuring out how do I balance and marry those elements together that in a way that keeps it affordable and accessible to people, um, but also still feeds me and supports me and the team of people that I have now um, also being supported by the practice of, of doing this business. So um, takes intention and, you know, where I see my line going is having it, you know, be as accessible to as many people as possible, but really honoring this isn't something that's mass produced. So I'll never be able to keep up with mass produced prices. Um, and that's bittersweet. You know, I want everybody to be able to get it, but it also is probably a good um, pattern to kind of insert into the consciousness is that instead of buying that are really affordable, that um, don't last as long and that are made with practices that aren't good for the planet um, and taking that same amount of dollars and investing it in one thing that is good, that that is supportive, that is sustainable and, and will last you 10 times longer than those 10 garments will, you know? So it's kind of learning how to think differently when you consume. And I like holding the space for that by having my price points be, you know, what they are, which is certainly not a $20 t-shirt. <laughs> so yeah. um, it's just a different approach. Yeah, long-lasting is very important. Sorry, to, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, but I was just thinking about a, a conversation we've been having in the Slow Crafters Facebook group. Uh, the question was posed, how do you measure your carbon footprint? Seems like a simple question, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not an easy answer. And one of the things I came mm -hmm. across is an article on focusing on some key aspects uh, of your impact where the most carbon takes place. And one of those is making sure that you buy things that last a long time. Things that you use often, like clothes, making sure you're buying a well-crafted, long-lasting uh, garment so that it will make an impact because you're using it and you're not replacing it over and over again with lesser quality products so that's that's good consideration and you do have to balance mm -hmm. that craftsman craftswomanship and you know the art uh, as well as the, the product <laughs> you know the commodity piece in the market uh, and mm -hmm. kudos to you it must be working because you're still in business uh, how do you also you're, you're considering the, making how how you can make it most accessible financially how do you make it most accessible to different body types like that just confounds me I, I, it's one thing to make my I can Whoa. finding clothes that fit right is such a challenge for everybody and now you're providing clothes for people so how do you how do you take that into mind oh okay that is the, that is the best thanks sundown that's a good question <laughs> um, it is literally. <laughs> It is, is for me, literally, it's part of the reason why I do in-person uh, in person marketing. I still take, I still attend all my own art shows and, and take my product on the road and tour around meeting communities of people um, that show up and, and being like, hey, try this on. You know, it doesn't matter if you're going to buy it or not. Let me stare at you in my wow. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, <laughs> because, because for me, visually, repeatedly seeing just seeing over and over and over again how 
clothing fits on people and what I would change if I could change it, even if it was my own clothing that needs to change. Um, and starting to, and, and seeing who is, who is my client, who is my quote unquote target audience and how can I make a garment look good on anybody's body type? Um, and, and, and make sure that everybody feels good just the way they are. And that's, that's the name of the game. Um, so I just, it's, again, it's like one of those things where I see what's needed and just kind of intuitively answer back and it gets incorporated into my design process and it gets incorporated into making fits better every single year. I modify the fits of my garments so that more and more people, uh, for example, I make really long, long arms on my sleeves hmm. and people sometimes will say, Hey, um, why are these sleeves so long? And I say, because for every 10 I have to take up because they're too long, it is worth that one person that comes in and is like, I never can find shirts <laughs> that fit my arms. And they're like so happy and so excited, you know? So um, it, it's, it's, and it's cool to have, you know, that extra length gives me some versatility and really mo modifying things to fit um, individual people. And that's the other piece of it too. I tell people all the time, this is the difference between buying something from a store where, you know, you don't know anything about who made the garment and buying it from the person that made it. Um, you get to ask for those things. You get to have that conversation. So it's an ongoing conversation between listening to and seeing what people's needs are and then just creating a, an outlet for people to ask for what they need as well. Hmm. That's interesting and smart uh, in that your pieces are versatile in that way and you've designed them knowing that every, you know need, people need a tailored they need a tailored experience and all the work that goes into creating each of your garments to create the same one in five different sizes waiting for the right person to fit into it uh, I imagine is much more challenging than <laughs> just changing the length of the sleeves because now it, it's it fits and it's uh, going to fit yes. so many more people it's true Awesome. It's true. It's I call it a little I call it a little miracle sundown because there's actually a very complex number of components that are coming together, both from, you know, imagine the T-shirt you're wearing right now or that anybody in the audience is wearing. It is made out of one consistent fiber. You know how that's going to behave when you put it on because it's just one big piece of fiber. My garments now are to a level where they're made out of a minimum of 10 different pieces that have different stretch histories that all have, um, they've been washed and worn that many more times. They're that much thicker. And so you create this complete rando alchemy of materials that mm somehow miraculously continues to find its person <laughs> and fit, which by the way, a human being is a complete random alchemy of shapes and bumps and curves and skinninesses. And oh my gosh. So it's like, I think that in some ways I want to believe in my, my imagination that there it's just waiting for each other to collide in the right <laughs> set of moments. But because of that, um, the stretch, the stretch fabric, remember going back to why I love t-shirts so much, there's give, there's stretch. And so I'm going to get 20 different body types in one garment. Whereas, you know, um, I think in some ways that that t-shirt is a little bit more limiting because it is only made out of that one fiber. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty beautiful, it's a, it's a miraculous thing that all the clothing seems to be finding its homes and its people. <laughs> That's awesome. In a, in a little bit, when you were describing that, what came to mind was uh, Edna from The Incredibles, the, who makes the super suits, Oh, yes. You know, and how she just <laughs> takes that person, you know, and then takes the needs and the different skills that they need and the things and melds them together in this perfect outfit. That's just exactly what they needed. And in a way, you're Edna. But <laughs> you haven't met the person oh, yet. Totally you just created yes. these super suits and this person finds it and all of a sudden they're transformed because it's expressing something about them that they've connected with in a way that they never knew was possible until they met you. <laughs> How fun. Yes! That's exactly it. I seriously tell people that if you don't feel like a superhero in your clothing, it's not the right thing for you. It's okay. Let's keep looking. So it's like you nailed it. You totally awesome. nailed it. Awesome. Thank you. Well, it emanates from everything that you do. So I'm just picking up on it. Uh, let's talk about some of those pieces. So you're doing one of a kind pieces. Uh, you've got a social media presence displaying those. How many of the things you showcase on your social media are one of a kind pieces? Oh, every single thing is. Oh, what? <laughs> every single thing. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> so, 
so every single thing that you see with your eyeballs that comes from flood clothing is legit, 100% one of a kind. It cannot be repeated. Um, so for example, going back to that graphic t-shirt line, those are, those are never going to go on my website because I cannot, I absolutely cannot repeat that super ratto how to make an airplane 1970s shirt that I, you know, was gifted from a client one year. Um, but when you do go to my website, you, you can air quote again, order this thing in your size. But if you look closely at the wording, it says, hey, we're going to get this as close as we possibly can to the image that you're seeing on the website. But everything's one of a kind. It's mm. so everything truly is one of a kind. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm kind of creating a system where I can quote, I can repeat. Um, and that's for my sanity, <laughs> you know, like being able to find a style that works, find no, you know, 15 years later, I know that I can find these shades of colors and start creating a space where more than one person can have that item. Um, but it's still completely unique to them. Hmm. When any, when you, whenever I sell a piece, it's that's the only one that will ever be like that. Yeah, like an artist who creates prints and then signs each one and numbers it. However, you've recreated each print and not just signed and numbered it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So do you work with do you work with individual clients? How does what's that relationship and process look like? Oh yeah. Okay, so one of the coolest things that's happening right now, um, I'll just give you a little snapshot because this is basically what my reality looks like full time when I'm not uh, playing at shows with people. They're sending boxes from all over the country of clothing that they have a significant attachment to or significant connection to. And they are wanting those pieces transformed into either, um, you know, a complete unique creation or laid into one of the designs I've already come up with, but I'm using their special fabrics. Um, currently, I just had a very um, long-term client of mine come in with her uh, husband who passed away. He collected Hawaiian shirts and uh, she's going to be attending a family wedding this summer and has asked me to create a dress for her utilizing his uh, Hawaiian shirts. And you know, so that's that's the level we're playing at right now wow. is is, is um, people are really kind of dropping into transforming these, you know, clothing is I could get on just a whole other podcast as to how special I think clothing is and how mystical the powers are. <laughs> um, but the reason why we hang on to some of the pieces in our lives is because it's an identifier of a person we knew and loved or a moment in our time um, where we remember who we are in that moment and why we wore that T-shirt and that the reason why we went on the, you know, what adventures we had wearing that. And so how do you keep that energy alive and transform it into your now moment. Um, so that's another big part of what I'm trying to get edu educate people into realize can happen. Because again, it's helping people open up the, their mind to what they can do with their own clothing that they can't get rid of, whether it comes to me or whether they cut it up themselves. So yeah, that is uh, a major part of my reality now is is just coming coming and receiving boxes that people shipped in, uh, wanting some some transformation and getting it into their now reality. And, and then all of a sudden they've got, you know, a space for 20, where 20 garments once were and just one awesome one awesome. <laughs> fills it back up again. Yep. I, I have a box of those shirts uh, that I'm picturing in my mind right now that is probably going to find its way to you <laughs> in the very near future. Uh, yeah. but thinking about this, this woman and her husband's Hawaiian shirts, uh, and how meaningful that that's deeply, deeply meaningful uh, and to be able to share that with I can imagine her sharing that experience with her husband at this family wedding. Uh, aside from the patterns of the Aloha shirt, what were some other uh, concepts or ideas or, or emotions that you collected from that person uh, to create the dress that you made for her? Um, it's it's. You know, it, how do you put some of that channeling into words? You know, it's it's just kind of trusting. She points out the shirts that she's the most attached to. Um, she points out the ones that she, ha you know, loves because they're a part of him, but aren't necessarily her personal favorite colors. <laughs> and so it's like having that conversation and keying into the subtle um subtle ways that she's feeling about it and really kind of highlighting, highlighting those elements as 
um, informing how the design actually ultimately comes out. And if you really listen to anybody when they're talking about anything, they're giving you a whole other um, unconscious or subconscious body of information that you can play with. Um, and I get really geeky in the realm of I, you know, will listen to the energy of him coming through and how he wants to be present through those garments and be present with her in her reality, even though he's, he's no longer physically here. This somehow these shirts are physically representing uh, some of his essence. And if it's only through the memory of him being, you know, him being here, um, I guess I'm saying all that because that just, I think that knowledge and that feeling without really even thinking about it comes through when I do what I do. Um, and I don't, I don't breaking it down into like pragmatic terms is, <laughs> you know, if I wanted, I was going to go more technical with you sundown, I would say that, you know, there's always so much of a shirt. How do I make that shirt into a whole dress? Right. Yeah. Tetris. Yeah. It's the Tetris problem. So there's that super big body of, you know, spirit and energy and transformation. But then it also, at the end of the day, it comes down to, we've got, you know, five Hawaiian shirts and we've got to make them look good in an awesome new way. So holla back. What are we going to do here? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One cut at a time. <laughs> One stitch. Yes. Right. yes. Uh, so of yes. all the clothing that you're making, is there a, a piece that you just enjoy making the most? Or that you identify <sighs> Oh, dang it. Um, okay. So this it's an interesting question for this year. I'm going to give a little tiny backstory to what's happening this year. Cause I'm pretty excited about it. Um, this is the first year that I've actually completely closed my loop of creation. I am now taking 15 years of scraps that are cast off from my clothing line and I'm processing that fiber into small chunks that are then being sewn together and I'm creating these bolts of my own fabric. So now anything I cut off gets wrapped back around into a fiber creating process. And so uh, I'm building my own fabric using 15 years of scrap. So and, and there's no waste, like nothing is, nothing is being wasted. Wow. Um, so point one, I made a jacket this year called the guide and I, I, so I've been making clothing for 15 years, right? And I, I you can imagine how extensive my wardrobe is. Mm -hmm. uh, and I pride myself on never wearing the same thing twice, you know, not very often at least. But this jacket came out of me and I wear it every, I wear it pretty much every day to the point now where people are like, oh, it's, it's the orange jacket again, eh? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's a, <laughs> I, 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 that, I, I don't have a, a lot of favorite anythings other than my own two kids, but um, that jacket apparently caught me by surprise. I wear that sucker every day. Um, and I think there's something, it, it, it's a piece of my collection that actually takes the biggest chunks. I can only get one sweater out of one of these bolts. And so it's, it's like wearing 80 different sweaters at a time. <laughs> <laughs> But it, but it looks like high fashion somehow. So it's like I'm wearing this, you know, cloak of sweaters and, I, and I'm still a superhero. So, it, it, yeah, that's that's my favorite piece right now, for sure. Awesome. <laughs> Is that piece available for others or one like it? Of course, it wouldn't be the exact same piece, but. Yes. Yes. You got it now, Sundown. You got awesome. it. Um, yeah. If you if you go to the website, there's a, it's called the guide. It would be in the women's jacket section, although I have just as many guys trying to find it right now as well. Um, they're pretty they're pretty universal in size right now. There's only a green one on the website. But the coolest part is if you look closely, you can actually uh, customize it and choose your own colors right from the website. So wow. if you wanted the orange one or if you wanted a rainbow one or a purple one or a neon beige one. You can click that box and make it happen. <laughs> I, I'm looking at it right now. It is a, a stunning piece. Uh, awesome. Awesome. So good. So good. Uh, okay. Hey, let's talk a little bit about your business. Um, so. Sure. How has social media, you've been, you've been in business longer than Facebook. Um, so how has your business changed as these social media platforms have, have come online? Yeah, you nailed it. I started Flow Chloe before Facebook was even a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly before Instagram was. Um, you know, it's a really, it's, it, I would literally call my, my Flood Clothing Facebook page and my Instagram page 
it's like having two additional websites. Um, they've been great tools for letting people know where I'm at, where I'm going to physically be on tour. Um, they're a great tool for those, you know, those graphic tank tops, for example, I'm going to post that um, on my social media account and they'll fly off to their homes right then and there. Um, it's a great way of sharing, you know, the big things that are happening um, accomplishment wise and with clothing. And it's also a way for, you know, the way that I see those platforms, we are quickly becoming a digital universe. We, I wouldn't even say we were becoming, we are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so the name of the game is how to embody the connection between two people or groups of people and translate that to the digital world where people feel the connection you would feel if you and I were talking in real life sundown, you know, right. Like we're doing it right now. Yeah. So it's kind of a, that's how it's, it's been a great tool. Um, I do it all myself. So it's kind of the relationships having a balance of how much am I making uh, physically creation wise and how much of it I'm playing with on social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great way to connect with people and then really involve them. I just released a, a couple of of me making a garment from start to finish and people just were like, holy smokes, mm. that is what goes on. And it's like, oh, I guess that's probably a big deal, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, when you've been doing something for so long, you don't think about, you know, the scope of it and how other people would perceive it. Um, so it's just such a great way to really get people so deeply involved in the process and, and feel like they're part of it. I think that's kind of the coolest thing with social media, um, the play in businesses now. Yeah. And what a great way to weave in your customer's experience with the clothing themselves and itself, you know, and they become literally a part of yeah. it. The clothing eventually becomes part of them. Um, so fun. <laughs> so fun. What, so what does a typical awesome day look like in your life? Oh, that is a that is an existential question, Sundown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Pick the awesome day. The awesome day. <laughs> um, so I'm going to answer pseudo, pseudo, like pseudo on point as far as like what I physically and, and coupled with just more of a greater life lesson. Um, you know, an excellent day is, you know, uh, accomplishing the goals that I set for myself every day. I'm self-employed. So every day means that there is a never ending spiral of stuff that I'm trying to get done. Um, so it's just, it's, it's being able to drop in and really stay present with the process of creation um, versus kind of switching over to a stress uh, place of like, I gotta get, I gotta get stuff done, you know, um, having great meetings with my team um, and making sure that things are flowing uh, properly that they're happy and healthy making making things and uh, successful meetings with clients um, and great connection through the through the through the medias of people just being excited and wanting to share their stories and their pictures um, but I think that a, a great day really ultimately comes down to all those little details is just really being as present in the moment enjoying the process it's what we're doing with our life energy so um, and really kind of escaping the vacuum of, oh, man, I'm never going to get it all done. <laughs> really just kind of dropping into, I got exactly what I was supposed to get done, done, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you have more to do tomorrow and you'll do it then. <laughs> oh, exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I would add in there, I would add in there a little geeky thing and say that a, a great day is having a super tidy studio. <sighs> That's a, that is the best. <laughs> oh. And our, that's today's Zen moment, <laughs> a clean, tidy studio. Yes. <laughs> now, in your studio, I know you're you're not the only one there. You have three other women who are part of Flood Clothing. Uh, what what do they do, and who who are they? Well, actually, I don't. I I am the only person in my studio space. Oh. Okay. Um, all of the women that I I work with. Yeah, yeah. So every woman that I work with actually gets to work from their own home and from their own studio space. So it's, 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 it's a really, so what we'll do is we'll come together, we'll have meetings, um, we'll hand off together parts of the process, um, whether it be raw fabric to cut down into uh, cut stacks is what I call them, uh, to handing those cut stacks off over to my seamstresses who then assemble them into garments. Um, so that is, it answers, it's a double, double banger, right? I actually don't have anybody in my studio oh. except for me. Um, and what my ladies do with me is anything from helping me source fiber 
to uh, cutting things up to get ready for garment construction to constructing garments. Um, those are all things that I, if even if I sewed 80 hours a week now, uh, which I don't think I could ever handle, I, I could not make enough uh, to meet the demand for my product line. Um, and it's just so cool to get to work with these, you know, most of them are moms that want to be able to stay at home and work with, you know, be around their kids, be able to tend to their kids and then also support themselves and their families. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how they, they are, their roles. And a lot of them I've been working with, um, for over a decade. So long-term really solid relationships with these beautiful people who have a, an incredible skill set, and they've let me teach them how to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, and what a meaningful way to run your business where you're expanding on what you're able to do by including others and including them in a holistic way that, that meets them where they're at. So the, the process continues as a collaboration, but they're also working independently, maintaining their lives, their families, their values uh, are being fulfilled at the same time. Like that's, that's unusual. It's not the common way of operation. Yeah. And uh, what a fantastic way to run your business. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, so <laughs> you're welcome. Graduate, we got to recognize where the work's getting done, and you're doing it. So you're doing all of this. You could potentially be working 80 hours a week and and still creating demand or not meeting demand. Uh, you've got other people working for you and with you. And uh, how do you find balance in your life? Ooh. Um... Well, I, I tried to, you know, my studio is not in my home. So leaving work at work, at least physically, as far as cutting and sewing goes, you know, um, and just remembering that self-care is the foundation for which I will have the ability to do this all much more effect effectively and efficiently. Um, it's a tricky thing when you do what you love to do, right? Because mm -hmm. when you do what you love, you're never in a space of like, oh, man, I got to go do my job. It's <laughs> so there's there's an aspect of self-care kind of woven into it by fighting, fighting to to keep it alive and keep it growing and keep it um, because ultimately it feeds me so much. Um, so, you know always bringing balance into to self-care, meaning I go home and it doesn't mean that I stop doing flood clothing. I mean, I still email my clients, still organize my team from home, still take an odd project to and from, but I try to keep it fairly separate at night when I go home. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's, 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 a, it's a trip, right? Cause I do, I love what I do. I, I love going to work every day. Mm -hmm. And so that in its own way is this kind of self-care. Yeah. Doing what you love. Right. Uh, if we can all be so lucky uh, yeah. to do that. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, let's zoom back out. Earlier, we talked a little bit about the problems with the fashion industry as far as the waste stream and how you're taking that waste stream and turning it into something regenerative and renewing uh, and beautiful. Um, when you look at the fashion industry, what are you seeing as some of the more encouraging changes that have been happening recently? And, uh, and conversely, what are the things you're seeing that are most troubling to you? Um, I think some of the, the coolest stuff I've been, I've been having a lot of um, uh, panel speaking sessions and involvement with, with big corporations, um, just to kind of gauge where they're at with their sustainable process. And um, they are scrambling to do it. Uh, they're really scrambling right now to really try it. An interesting thing. There's a marketing aspect to it for them. They know that if they can say they're sustainable, that the younger generations are going to continue to support them. But dang it, if that's what motivates them to actually do something awesome with their companies, then so be it. Um, so it's been really cool to see them kind of starting to critically think about things in a way that's outside of, you know, many, many, many years of ingrained ways of thinking to the point where, you know, it's not just as corporations, it's all of us, right? But the corporations have a lot, a big, huge responsibility because of the impact that they've, they have. Um, so that's really exciting. A lot of people are creating initiatives where they're collecting old clothing, they're repairing, they're, they give lifetime repair guarantees. Um, a lot of companies are trying to work on breaking their own clothing down and creating uh, raw threads from their old clothing, which then get woven back into fabric. Um, 
they're experimenting around with creating what's called a capsule collection. So it means instead of making 200 billion units of something, they're only making 100,000, um, which are all very disruptive practices for companies that basically their bread and butter is to make those you know 200 billion units and get as many out as fast and as cheaply as possible. Um, so I see them, I see, through these conversations with these big companies, I see them starting to really try um, you know, it, they back themselves into a corner that they got really comfortable and accustomed um, to being in. And so it's going to take time for them to figure out how to make those shifts. Um, I think some of the negative things are still, you know, is, is probably just kind of attached to that, that it's the slowness to come on line. Um, dig a little deeper, utilize those funds. I mean, you, you think about it, they have, they are the ones that have all of the resources and yet they're not using their powers for the most awesome good. There's still the component of major companies, major brand names caring more about the dollar versus the planet and the people. Um, and that's where you get people that are burning their product, people that are landfilling their product just to make sure that the quote-unquote wrong people don't have access to their their line um so that i think is you know it's disheartening to see that but it's having compassion understanding that they just you know a lot of them even if they individually want to change things are part of a big corporation that's run by people that don't necessarily care you know um but like life, it will all change and shift. And eventually, unfortunately, fortunately, we'll get to a point where it won't be an option anymore. It won't be an option to look away, you know. Um, and those realities will become real. And you could play upon their desire for fiscal focus and be like, well, the first person to knock this one out of the park and be fully sustainable is going to be the leader. <laughs> You know, that's, that's how I, I always spin it. it. Like you, you know, you want to be the first person. You know, you want to be the first person. You'll be getting all those, all those dollars. So it's a win-win. Promise. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I appreciate and hear how you're, you're humanizing it as well. You're humanizing these companies. You're pointing out that it's people making decisions. It's people noticing things within them that are wondering: Can I speak up? Will I be heard? Are the right people? in charge uh and so encouraging people right. to continue to speak up and talk about what's important to them and their values and how they see their role in their company or go start another one mm -hmm. right go be the leader exactly. create the leader you know and because they have the knowledge uh yeah. and and that ability to repurpose it uh into something new and possibly greater uh is scary um but as you're showing it can be done yeah you know, one stitch at a time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, <Yes>. uh, <laughs> sorry, I gotta, you know, as a dad, I have to have my, my fun with puns. So, um, that's, yeah, that's yeah. A, a badge I wear. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and we're having such a fun conversation. So on the flip side, uh, outside of the businesses, right, they rely on the consumers and the consumers also drive mm. those decisions. As you talked about, they're hearing what people want. They're hearing the new generation say they want sustainability. And so they're adapting either by marketing or by actual changes. Uh, and as consumers, what can we do to help make the fashion industry better for the people that work in it? Especially as we're, you know, looking for a better earth. <laughs> Yes. Oh my gosh. This is, I've, I've been so excited about this question. Um, I would tell people that there's a couple, a couple of prongs in approach, right? So your dollars are your vote, your, your sway. And when you stop supporting companies that are not behaving in a way that you don't agree with, you are, you're making your vote, you're casting your vote. I cannot tell you how awesome secondhand clothing stores are now. I mean, anywhere from trying to grab vintage to being able to have access to, you know, the, the newest, hottest thing in great condition um, because it's more socially acceptable and because people are trying to, you know, really do something by donating their stuff. It is like a treasure trove, you know, and you, you can get those same fashions in B mainstream for a quarter of the price and Oh, by the by, you're keeping it out of the landfill. Um, and and or researching companies that are local to your city, to your town, to your state, 
um, companies that are in alignment with your ideals. And if that's, I mean, and in the end, end of the day, if it's stuff that's out of your price point, because doing this work right now is so labor intensive and it's still being developed. Um, I, I can't, I can't, you know, there's, there's not even secondhand shops like Goodwill. Um, there's Buffalo exchanges and consignment shops. There's so many places where you can go spend those dollars and, um, and by the by, get your brand names, but you're not feeding it directly from the source. You're actually, uh, you're, you're helping um, mitigate the impact that they're having by producing so much stuff. Right. Mm. Um, so that would be my number one advice on that front is consume consciously and um, really pay attention to whether or not who you're consuming from aligns with what you are trying to manifest in your own personal reality. Um, for sure. And there's no better way to, if, if the people stop buying the things that are being produced, then they're going to stop being produced. <laughs> Even yeah. if it's in a small amount, every one small step that we do, it creates a massive, you know, infinite chain response of, of reaction. And that's really cool to know that that little small choice made a difference. Yeah. One, one small choice, you know, yes! makes a big impact. And yes! uh, I like how you pointed out the, that you're by purchasing that item at a, at a thrift store or secondhand store that it is keeping money in your community. Those are local jobs. That money doesn't have to go to a corporation. Yeah. It just stays there to keep that operation going. Um, their costs were low because they got it donated. Uh, so it's a great way to keep regenerating the economy of your own um, your own place of, of living, your own hometown. Uh, so And donating yeah. too, yes. right? Like donating good stuff and making sure it's not going yes. to the landfill. Uh, so... Uh, yes. what, yeah, so let, that, I think that leads us to the, the closet, right? So what do we... When, when we're looking at our closet, what are your top three recommendations for making a greener closet? Honestly, I, I think even I, I would consolidate that down into one top thing that was just recently brought to my attention, which is donate it all. Donate it all. Um, it doesn't matter whether or not it's got holes in it. It doesn't matter or not if it's stained, ripped, torn, you know, donate it all because there are people like me and we are a growing faction of creators that can utilize that fabric and can revitalize it and bring it. We can cut it apart and take away the parts that don't work, cover them up, re repair them, mend them. That's uh, the top way to make your uh, closet greener from a donating your stuff standpoint. Um, stop throwing it away and just take it to um, your local charity or place that, you know, accepts donations. And then, um, I think that there's, I think, again, you know, focusing on quality versus quantity and getting a little bit more dropped into yourself with, you know, how much do you really need and is what you're wearing truly feeding your ideals for what you're wanting to create in your life. Hmm. Um, so that just takes a deeper level of awareness and um, observation of your own consuming patterns, but also look your closets, like the evidence of what you've, <laughs> what you've done and how you've gone about it. And, uh, that looking at it from that lens versus, um, the style lens, which is awesome. Of course, style is amazing, but where are you acquiring that style? Hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, you're, I got to challenge you on your advice on donating everything. A little bit. Uh, that is a advice that's coming yeah, from a number of prominent <laughs> people. Uh, I, I haven't heard this person, but I've been brought to my attention. There's Marie Kondo is you know preaching the gospel of donating everything, you know, and cleaning out your closet and the minimalist lifestyle, and and people are hearing it because there is meaning to that. Um, and you're saying donate everything, like even if it's got a hole in it. So on the thrift side store in Goodwill, uh, aren't they become? Are, I've heard they're becoming overwhelmed with the amount of donations they're getting is, is it, is there a threshold? Um, that's a great, I mean, it's a great relationship right there. Right. Um, paradoxically as we're doing all these good things interpersonally, we're creating these upsets for these industries that are basically these pods for handling our waste and trying to figure out if we can keep it out, out, out of the landfill and, and in use. 
Um, but when you inundate these people, what is the natural solution? They're going to become more people that are setting up facilities to deal with the onslaught of stuff. I mean, my way of looking at that is, you know, Portland is a very different place, but how Portland has handled it, we, we have boutique goodwills. We, we actually have Goodwills where they have designer furniture. You're, you're not buying it for 20 bucks for your dresser. You're paying three, $400 for your dresser that was donated. So Portland is such a secondhand oriented community that the Goodwill has decided, oh, we can actually, you know, really get going and generate some more funds and, and get bigger and expand. And I would say that that's probably going to happen for all these companies. Mm. Yeah, there's going to be a minute where they're like, oh, snap. What are we doing? It's like everybody's lives are now in our possession and we don't know how to handle it. Mm. Well, most of the time that results in let's we're going to have to form more facilities. Um, mm. That's what I want to believe, Sundown. Okay. That's, that's the positive spin on. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Right. Supply and creates demand. Supply creates demand. Uh, and yes. And I hope that also I want to add to what your your inspiration and your hope is coming with is that. This show today is going to inspire a handful of people to see that same problem and to realize that within them, they have the sense of fashion, they have the sense of creativity, and that there is this stream of resources that they can turn into a very beautiful and life-supporting business uh, for themselves and create beauty in their community uh, and solve a waste problem and just compound essentially affect build a triple bottom line business um that's that's meaningful and that gives them a life of meaning and purpose and uh so i really hope that that's what i want to add to that opportunity brings on demand uh and with the people that are listening to our podcast i know they're wonderful beautiful people doing amazing things and have a lot of energy and passion and this is just one more thing that they can do to transform the communities that we live in. Amazing. I, I, this is a fun. This has been so much fun. And uh, I'm just so excited. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling we could still go on for another hour, but we've been going and we've reached the speed round. Uh, and we'll bring some, just some fun facts about oh. Nicole as we wrap up today. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So here we go. First question. Favorite green fashion brands or muses? Um... I mean, it just recently happened. Zero Waste Daniel. He he's he's rocking it. He's East Coast doing the same exact thing. Love love him. He's uh he's great. There's a local company as well called Looped Works, um, who is partnering with major corporations and turning uh their off off their waste into an incredible handbag line. Um so those are my top two right now. For clothing, I love Zero Waste Daniel. He's got he's got a great eye, great style, and he's all about universal fits for everybody um, and also upcycling, but he's got that East Coast vibe. And then from home, I really appreciate Looped Works. They're doing it um, on a huge scale, working with major corporations that are now calling them up and asking for help to get rid of their waste, and he's, he's pulling it off. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, what a great opportunity, and thanks for recognizing those people that are doing great things. Uh, we'll include their links in the show notes. Oh, cool. So what's your favorite snack that you've been snacking on these days? Oh, chips. chips. Doesn't matter what kind, as long as they don't have uh, dairy or sugar in them or meat. I, it's chips, chips, chips. It's my, <laughs> it's my total dirty, dark secret. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, when we come to visit you, I know what to bring. We're bringing a bag of chips. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be all that and a bag of chips. Yes. <laughs> How about entertainment-wise or educational? Uh, what about books, podcasts, or a movie that you're really excited about right now? Well, who's not excited about Endgame? I mean, I don't. I know the podcast may come out post post uh, time, but Marvel's mm -hmm. last installment of Infinity Wars is coming, yeah. and so I would say. On a major commercial, you know, Fantasy Island, I'm pumped about Endgame. Um, but as far as podcasts go, I <laughs> I can't help it. I, I really love this American life. It makes me feel like I'm having a fun connection to what's going on in the world, but looked at through a different playful lens. Well, um, and now I'll be listening to, to, your, to your podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. Because we have so many wonderful people on it. Don't want to miss out. <laughs> So, yes. uh, 
<laughs> oh, I love what I do. So, um, what, what about a value that you're most trying to live right now? Um, presence in the moment over and over and over again, just really dropping into presence in the moment. Um, because they just, they go by so quickly. And sometimes we kind of get lost in the things that we're doing and thoughts in our head and, um, really enjoying each step of the process and milking every single moment for all of the millions of things that are happening within it and just trying to find as much joy in all that as I can. And if it's not joy, just a simple really receiving and seeing and being in it. Yep. Well, it is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't resist. So sorry. <laughs> but it's true. I yes, mean, it's I left so that for you. I left that for you there. <laughs> All right. Last question. Where can our listeners find you? Um, you I mean, obviously, easiest, fastest place would be the website. Um, I have a store in Portland. If you're ever around, come by. It's open by appointment and love to have you and show you where everything is, you know, where it all starts and um, finished pieces. And then I tour I tour um, the whole year pretty much entirely on the West Coast um, and various places in Washington, Idaho, um, Oregon, California, and hopefully Arizona this year. So um there's a list of shows that I'm going to be attending available online on my website. And then I usually share about it on media as well. So those would be the places. And we can always do things through the mail. Always. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so, so much uh, for being with us today and sharing your story and your passion and your enthusiasm and your insightfulness. Uh, this was just such a joy. And I hope everybody listening today enjoyed it as much as I did or possibly even more if that's, if that's possible. So, if you are interested in having more conversations like this of your own, you might want to check out our Facebook community. The group is called Slow Crafters Living a Triple Bottom Life. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and consider writing a review for us on iTunes. It's so much appreciated and it really helps bring these stories and these people and these conversations to more people, which I know, I know they're going to find it of value uh, because that's why we're here. Thank you. Thank you.